2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Wrestleomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, May the 8th, 2022. It's Mother's Day. It's the, uh, we did this on Mother's Day last year, I think, but um, I'm joined, as always, by Chris Gullo, who's running on some six hours of sleep. Just came home from his journey to, from Erie, Pennsylvania. Correct?
3: Yes, last night it was Revenge Pro Wrestling uh, at the Avalon Ballroom. It was a fun
2: show, uh, and yeah, right on uh, six hours. All I needed, I get six hours. Um, I often take a nap on on the weekends. I did yesterday. I might later. I've been up since like six thirty or something. Um, so you you will not be joining us next week? Is that correct?
3: No, I will be out of town for a wedding. Unfortunately, like and okay. so. Okay. Staying overnight at the wedding, everything just and uh, it's about two and a half hours away. So logistically, probably wouldn't. Where be the best. are you going for this wedding?
2: Cortland, New York. That's right. You've told me that. Uh, we'll have Jesse Collins filling in for you on next week. Uh, he has confirmed his availability to me. So, uh, what are we? Uh, what are we going to talk about today? So, uh, got a lot going on. Uh, Of course, we'll talk about
3: some highlights from the Q1 earnings call with uh, WWE. We're going to talk about funnels and we'll kind of explain that a little bit uh, into more detail. Talk about WWE's popularity and has Peacock saved it? And we're also going to start off with the Forbidden Door and it being a sold
2: out Forbidden Door AEW New Japan pro wrestling show. Uh, firstly, if people want to submit a question or a comment for a super chat, how do they do that?
3: Well, they, if you go on a little YouTube, there's a little dollar sign. You press that dollar sign, put your question, in, and you could put any amount that you like. It could be a dollar, $5, or hey, if you're feeling generous, $100. Who knows? <laughs> who knows?
2: Um, the Forbidden Door uh, tickets went on sale on Thursday for this event uh coming up on what what day is forbidden door it probably says on the uh the big image here june 26th sunday yes it will be a pay-per-view and it is a live event obviously at the united center in chicago uh aew of course appealing to a lot of hardcore fans here dismissing the general casual fan uh going to chicago again uh, after a lot of events in Chicago uh, over the last year or so, including the the last time that there was wrestling at the United Center it was for the the punk debut on the second episode of Rampage back in August. Um, you'll think maybe they, they'll do they did all out at um, at the uh, the Sears Center, whatever it's called now. Uh, the now arena, I think it's called. No anyhow, there's been a lot of wrestling in Chicago over the last eight months, 12 months going here again. Uh, you'd figure, uh, tickets probably not going to move that fast. So that that's pretty much what happened. Is that correct? Um, these these uh, these tickets not moving.
3: Hey, nope, it, it's sold out. Uh, and uh, from uh, Russell Tix, Uh so they're most. And this was the episode Those are mostly gone, and not a limited view seats have been added. The entire ticket map is fourteen thousand and thirty, and they appear to be on
2: their way to selling the majority of tickets in less than forty minutes. Right. So the entire ticket map, Russell Tix, as you just mentioned, says this is about 14,000. Uh, a lot of that is probably going to be killed off by by the stage, maybe. But but this, this does look to be like, you know, the shape of a U here. It's definitely not the whole bowl, just like basically all these ticket maps are. Um, so I don't know if they'll make more tickets available. You know, I, I think that there should be no giant hideous stages uh, on my wrestling events. There should just be maybe a WrestleMania cart that's uh you know there's somebody's driving the tractor that pulls everybody to the ring. But that's all that I want. I want I want people 360 degrees all the way around. Um, so that Do was you want a curtain? <laughs> sure. A door with a curtain. Yeah, yeah. I, I want I want indie geeks surrounding me on both sides as I come out and just shoving people away. I want like a two foot wide aisle away. That's what I want. I want all Japan in the nineties. Um, but anyway, this was the pre-sale where most of the tickets apparently were sold. And then there was the general on sale the following day on Friday. Uh, and there were very few tickets remaining at that point. They were all gone as well. Uh, WrestleTix has a, a map with pink dots on it. You know what it must have been? It must have been all ticket scalpers that bought up all these tickets, right? No actual fans. It was just ticket scalpers and maybe Tony Khan himself buying the tickets to try to make it look good, right? Because he's got lots of money. But that actually, there's only, two, according to WrestleTicks, there's 2,686 tickets uh, that are on the resale market now, at least on Ticketmaster. Um, so that would be, that's, that's a sizable number, but that's, you know, out of 13,000 or so, uh, uh, that's a fraction. So... That's sold out. Um, no idea what the ticket prices were like, um, but I would think that's you know in the in the in the realm of a one million dollar gate. This will also be a pay per view. This will mean that AW is doing five pay per views, at least five pay per views this year. Um, what do you think this could do for pay per view buys?
3: Uh I mean, in in my opinion, obviously, I don't think you're going to get nowhere near as all out, but. With house quick it sold
2: out, does it do better than what Double or Nothing's going to do in a few weeks? That's a good question. Um Yeah. I've heard some people talk about how, well, maybe this this kind of feels like a bigger deal now than Double or Nothing, even though Double or Nothing, yeah. you know. I mean, I don't know if it's – I guess All Out is their biggest event. It's not really clear to me, right? I don't think they, – they can brand it and promote it and market it, however, but I, I don't think that – I don't know. Maybe All Out and Double or Nothing feel like bigger than Revolution or Full Gear in terms of name brands, I guess, but – so because the question oh go ahead. Because all out feels like uh the the successor of all in and double or nothing is the the first event that they ever did in 2019, but yeah.
3: So you know, we always talk about how like WWE sometimes just sells the brand itself, right? You like you don't have to announce matches to hey WrestleMania and try to pack so many thousands and thousands of people. Has AEW almost reached that level? Or maybe obviously it's New Japan being part of it, but You know, we don't know who's going to be on the show. We know that Jay White will be involved, but that's really about it. We don't know who else could be on the show. And boom, sold out.
2: No match announced. No official talent list. It's just the brands. You want to move on to tell us about the earnings call for WWE that happened this past Thursday. Uh, You have read the 10Q back to front, front to back. You've read the amendment, Nick Kahn's employment agreement. You've uh, studied and I think memorized actually the training schedules. Uh, so thoughts, breakdown, analysis on WWE's first quarter 2022 earnings. All right. Well, I'll I'll read what we have on the press release. How's that sound? <laughs> um, uh,
3: so uh, the first quarter 2022 highlights: revenue was 333.4 million. An increase of twenty seven percent in a quarterly record operating income was ninety two point four million. An increase of forty two percent, and it adjusted so a bit of uh, was I am sorry, adjusted what? Point. Adjusted. What? I don't. I can never pronounce it. I don't. I hear it a million times. I can never pronounce it. It's one of those words. It's like some people can't say Sally sells seashells but a seashore. I can't say S- it. S- what was, was tra- tra- Oh right. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I want to say it. And it does what does it right. stand for? What's the stand for? It's, a, oh, it's operating income before depreciating annual annuity.
2: <laughs> operating income before depreciation and amortization. Amortization. Okay. Amortization. Close. Yes. <laughs> um, um, so anyway, uh, Let's, let's, let, let's stop there. So this was, uh, I, I believe that the highest revenue, uh, quarter, I think for a Q1 in the company's history, I think one of their Q4s was maybe higher in revenue in recent years. Uh, Q4 ends up being a heavier quarter just because there's more days, I believe in a Q4 than there, than there are in other quarters because you've got two months, months that are 31 days. But, but anyway, as we expect, um, big revenue, big profit here, adjusted as a measure of profit, um. They they're continuing to participate in the uh, buyback program. That's what they're saying here when they talk about returned capital to shareholders, totaling thirty eight point nine million dollars. Uh, about nine million of that is the dividend payment, but about thirty million of that is them buying back their own stock. So uh, that's contributing probably to the to the stock price increasing. Uh, the stock price. Do we have it in here as of the close of the market? Uh, is $58, about 58 dollars 5 to close the market on Friday. Um, So this was, uh, in terms of Justin Weebda, this was over the uh, expectations of the analysts. Uh, EPS, which is another way to measure profit based on uh, the ratio of shares, uh, was $0.77. I estimated $0.81. The consensus... Analyst estimated sixty-four cents, so a little bit more profitable in this quarter than the analysts were expecting. Um, revenue was about right on target, um, as it usually is, maybe a little bit higher, I believe. Um, nonetheless, the stock took a little bit of a hit uh, the following day. But uh, you know, the, the stock market's been quite volatile uh, as it is. Um, there are a lot of WrestleMania highlights on here. You want to tell us about that?
3: Yes, here. Uh...
2: Even though, uh, even though WrestleMania was actually in Q2, uh, you know, it's in the past, so they might as well talk about it, even though it was after <laughs> March 31st.
3: Yep. So WrestleMania was held at AT&T Stadium in Dallas over two consecutive nights in front of a combined 156,352 fans. WrestleMania was WWE's highest grossing and most attended event in company history. WrestleMania was the most viewed WWE premium live event of all time. Global unique viewership increased 54%, and domestic unique viewership increased 61% year-over-year. Year. WrestleMania viewership in India was a record
2: 56.1 million, a 29% increase year-over-year. Year. So they're, they're rolling out the, the announced number, the announced attendance of 156,000 fans and times, 156,000. Uh, that's, of course, over two nights. Uh, that, that number probably does not reflect the number of spectators in the building. Uh, WrestleTix reported at the time that there were over the two nights about 65,000 both nights, um, 131,372 total, according to WrestleTix in terms of the estimated number of tickets that were out, right? 131,000. They claim 156,000. Um, they exaggerate their attendance, apparently. Uh, I don't know what what formula, what, what reality this reflects if it includes staff and talent and production workers and hot dog sellers and ticket takers and all of that. Um, but we're interested in the number of spectators in the building, not the number of spectators plus everybody who's working the event. Um, and that looks to be closer to 131,000 across the two nights. So about 65,000 combined across the, the you know 65,000 on each night um this uh india 56 million people watching uh on sony networks in india um i i did look look around to see how this compares to other telecasts in india if this is in the realm of reality uh this was i think this was something that we, we talked about in the past uh and Weeks past about the, uh, the viewership in India. This this was not a, a new number to me. Um, this is something I believe we saw on India.com, according to Bark, B A R C, which is a you know third party organization that measures viewership in India. Um, so I looked up, you know, what does cricket do in India for viewership? Because, you know, cricket's the most popular sport in India, I would think. So what does a big cricket game do? Uh, on a telecast in India. And what we see in some of the reports that I've seen is you'll see a number that is the reach, which appears to be the number of people who watch at least some portion of the of the telecast, which is not what we're familiar with talking about when it comes to TV ratings. We're familiar with talking about the average number of people who are watching per minute. So if we say uh, SmackDown had 2.1 million viewers, we mean that on a minute-by-minute average, if you measure the number of people who are watching in, in all 120 minutes, you average all those minutes together, you get one, uh, 2.1 million people. Um, that's what we're familiar with talking about, but there appears to be a reach number that they talk about in terms of people who watch part of the telecast. And then they talk about another number called the average, something like the, you know, the, the people who are watching on an average minute. I think it's minutely is the correct, uh, grammar minutely basis. Um, it's numbers that I'm not familiar with looking at. And then sometimes it looks like they're talking about numbers in terms of thousands, but they're not putting the thousands in there. Anyway, um, if this number is truly how many people were watching WrestleMania across the two nights, across, you know, the the, the two nights, fifty-six million people, that would be four percent of the Indian population, which is one point three eight billion people according to Google. That's 56 million people is 4% of the population. That would be the equivalent of 13 million people watching a telecast in the United States. That would be on the level of only what the NFL does and some major college football games. Um, Of course, NFL can go way above that, but that's that's the sort of uh, share that we're talking about there. Uh, Not sure what to make of that number. Nonetheless, I don't really doubt that this was among the most watched wrestling events ever. I guess globally um, I don't know what this, the Saturday Night Main Event numbers did in terms of actual number of viewers smaller population there so therefore smaller universe it wasn't a global telecast um, but we uh, I, I I often hear about how the you know the the rematch between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan on Saturday Night's Main Event uh, in what was it, 87 right or was it 88 um it was the most watched wrestling I think 88 was that yeah then there's an Undertaker and Steve Austin match. I'm I'm really I'm I'm baiting people to, to start tweeting me now. Uh the Undertaker and Austin match is in, in ninety-eight. That was on Raw It's a highly watched match. Um and then of course the uh Ricky Dozon and Destroyer telecasts, which I remember reading about in The Observer about how nobody really knows what the rating is, but there were purportedly thousands upon thousands of who knows how many people who gathered in the streets. Legend has it, and not many people owned televisions, but they gathered in the streets and looked through the shop windows at the televisions that were on sale, which were tuned tuned to Ricky Dozon versus the Destroyer. Uh, so, anyway, that's that's what's happening there. We'll talk more about Peacock later on, but uh, we did get we did get some comments from Vince McMahon, uh, just over 100 words, so over 100 words. About 130, I think 169 words, something like that, were how many words were uttered by the CEO, the chairman, the controlling Class B shareholder, the head of creative, Vincent Kennedy McMahon.
3: All right. So from Vincent Mann, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. As you know, we have a we. following. Oh, sorry. Well, I mean, do you want me to? I will. <clears throat> good afternoon, everyone. Thanks good for joining us ears. today. Yeah. As you know, we have a following a record performance in 2021. The momentum seems to be carrying on very well into 2022. We had a really good strong start delivering record financial results, which obviously reflects the strong performance across pretty uh, much of all lines of business. We have a couple of notable achievements. We what we would know as a stupendous WrestleMania, in addition to other successful premium live events, including Elimination Chamber, Royal Rumble, and Day One. We also announced an expanded partnership with AE to produce original programming, and we completed a modest media rights agreement in the MENA region. Nick and Steph will provide further perspective on our operations, and Frank is going to give us a financial performance in more detail. I think we're more pleased with how the business is currently performing and positioned. And we believe that our creativity will enable us to continue to drive growth and value to our shareholders, Nick. So see, he like kind of did like a podcast. He,
2: he segwayed in Nick. Certainly. Um, this was not a very newsworthy earnings call. I will admit um, there's uh, the, the, the biggest point of news that I can think of is that Nikon did reveal that there's going to be post uh, biography uh, episodes, you know, where people are on, on the a series after a biography airs, there's going to be post talk shows where people are going to talk about what what just what they just saw. Um, so that was news to me anyway. Um, I did. I, I uh, had to re listen to this, this comment that Vince makes about that I have highlighted on the screen here. A modest media rights agreement in the media region. Um, You know, Vince's comments are not always audibly clear, um, but I listened to this a a couple times, and this does appear to be what he's saying. A modest media rights agreement, which suggests to me that he's talking about the value, uh, the, the payment, the money that's involved in this deal is my read. I mean, we only know... Just what what is highlighted on the screen here? A modest media rights agreement in the media region. So I'm guessing this is not a huge money deal, uh, otherwise he wouldn't be saying that, uh, which is in line with what I've expected. This is, this is why should we think that this is a huge deal? Uh, w- one of the flagship shows, Raw or SmackDown, was already broadcasting on NBC. The other one is now two. Uh, there's a streaming deal, but there was no incumbent deal that this was superseding. So I, I find little reason to think that this is a huge money deal for WWE. And here's Vince McMahon, the CEO, saying it was a modest, if I'm understanding him right, a modest media rights agreement in the media re- MENA region. That MENA stands for what? What? Middle East, North Africa region. Okay, you're, you're cutting out. Um
3: Oh, I thought I was wrong. <laughs> okay. Um,
2: you did hear me though, right? I hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Um, Vincent McMahon uttered all of 3% of the words on this call, which is a little bit more than last time. Last two times, we only uttered 2% of the words on this call. This was a shorter call than usual though. So he didn't have to say as much to meet his usual quota. Um, I I did update this, this, uh, Stacked bar chart, stacked column chart to uh, illustrate who does how much of the talking. Um Nick Khan did the plurality of the talking here on this call with 43% of it being with Nick Khan. Nick took most of the, the Q&A. Frank took some of it. I don't think, I don't know that Stephanie took any responses on the Q&A. Um, Vince does not participate in Q&A these days. Um I'm just not sure. What, what, what Do you think this means anything? Do you have any thoughts about this? This means nothing.
3: Uh, on a large picture, probably not. On a small picture, I the Stephanie uh, just makes me think because there wasn't a lot of fun buzzwordy things to really announce. It's probably why she was less active on it.
2: Um, and I and I've laid out the comparisons here across other companies, other media companies, or other even like Live Nation, which is the parent company of Ticketmaster. There aren't. I know Amazon is this way and that. You know. Bezos or Andy Jassy don't participate in the in the earnings calls, but that's the exception. Um it's not clear to me. So it 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 signals to me that he's deferring very much to Nick Khan, both in in actuality and practice, day to day, and he's certainly deferring to him during these calls, probably because Nick is just much better at explaining the strategy and you know, you know, explaining why they're doing what they're doing. And handling any any questions um but it just suggests to me that i don't know how involved vince is in in the media strategy of this business and if that's the case then then what does he do what is he adding to wb we all know that he's out of creative um and i think he's a you know i, I don't think it's debatable that he's a, a significant drag on the business when it comes to being the head of creative uh this company couldn't be worse off with anybody else in charge of creative so i just don't know what he's adding to this company and people talk about him because i guess because he's this cultural figure people talk about vincent man as if he's the best person to, to run it. Nick Khan has said that himself. He's the best person to run this company. And people talk about the, the day when Vizic Van is not in charge of this company. Oh my God, there'll be, be, be such an uncertainty. There'll be uncertainty in terms of who the future leaders end up being. Um, but I don't think there's financial uncertainty or that there's you know strategic economic uncertainty if, if you're a shareholder uh, about what we ends up becoming. If anything, it can only be better because the content cannot really be worse than what it is. I guess it, it could be worse, but it seems highly unlikely to me that uh, even if the most status quo situation uh, transpires and Bruce Pritchard ends up remaining the head of creative uh, and has total influence over, over W, I, I don't see how it could be worse than what it is now in terms of the, the quality of the content. Um, so I just think it's preposterous that that there's this intrinsic man worship that... Understandably, nobody in the company is is able to do anything about. It. But even people outside of WWE, including in the wrestling media, just se- tend to worship this man as if he's their their second father or something. When I, it's clear to me that he's not adding much value to this company. Um, looking forward to WrestleMania Backlash tonight. He's almost like just a producer
3: for the television and premium live events. He's there for all those and he's yeah, obviously doing creative I'm sure he changes stuff on the fly, but what can we think of a single business deal lately that he was probably a giant part of other
2: than Saudi Arabia? He did make the decision to change major executives, of this company from Beerus and Wilson yeah. and, and to bring in Nick Khan and that, that's, that's to his credit. Uh, but the, they're there now. So I don't know. It's not clear to me what he's adding. Um, I'm sure you can spin a case and, you know, massage this a thousand times, uh, th- through PR and explain to me how essential he is. But it, I just, I don't know what you could say that would make me believe that he's adding any net positive to this company. Um, anyway, uh, the, uh, the estimates that, that we made just, uh, to, to reflect on them. Uh, I do have two other analyst, uh, reports to compare this to, um, In terms of net income, I was 2% off. Uh, Morgan Stanley was 11% off. Another uh, analyst report that I have to look at from North Coast was 26% off. That's in net income, which I think of as like the final, most final uh, measure of profit. Uh, Earnings per share ratio, I was 5% off. Morgan Stanley was 5% off in the other direction. Uh, North Coast off 25%. In terms of total revenue, I was off 5%. Morgan Stanley was off by just 1%, and North Coast was off by 8%. Um, I take a number of different measures, and I and I average the absolute uh, delta by percentage. I was 11% off, Morgan Stanley off about 20%, and North Coast also off about 20%. So a little bit more accurate than at least two analysts. Um, those are the only analyst reports that I have. Um, so there we go. Uh, Chris Gallo. What is a recession? Well, thank you for
3: asking, Brandon. Uh, A recession is a macroeconomic term that refers to a significant decline in general economic activity for a designated region. It had been typically recognized as two consecutive quarters of economic decline as reflected by GDP in conjunction with monthly indicators such as a rise in employment. Unemployment, sorry. Uh, however, the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER, which officially declares recessions, says the two consecutive quarters of decline in real GDP are not how it's defined anymore. The NBER defines a recession as a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy, lasting more than a four, few months, normally visible in real GDP,
2: real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. So anyway, the S&P 500, we were at the top of a peak in September 2000 and uh the the economy went on a uh, a downturn after that and then uh it recovered through the early to mid 2000s and then of course everyone remembers the great recession that started at the very end of 2007 and the financial crisis uh coming out of that in the in the early 2010s. And uh, we've had a few, now this is in terms of the S&P 500. I know people are screaming at their podcast speaker right now, reminding me that the, the, the S&P 500, the stock market, is not the economy, but uh, just it is at least one indicator of the economy. Uh, we've had a, a couple scares here uh, in, in, the, in the major indexes where things took a hard hit, but only on a short-term basis, and then pretty quickly recovered uh, in February 2016, in December 2018. And then, of course, in March 2020, uh, the very beginning of the shutdown in response to the pandemic, uh, big, big drop. Great buying opportunity because everything bounced right back. Uh, And now uh, the S&P 500 uh, has been really taking a hit lately. Uh, The the NASDAQ, the tech heavy NASDAQ has really been taking a hit lately. Uh, My stock portfolio has been doing terribly lately. And uh, I'm much, much poorer now than I was uh, much less wealthy now than I was uh, in the recent past. But nonetheless, um, what does that mean for the professional wrestling business? Well, at least for WWE, after WWE in uh, 2021 underperformed the stock market throughout most of the year, it was very volatile, bounced up, bounced down. And in terms of a net measurement, it, it basically ended the year very close to where it left off, uh, despite the stock market itself growing at about 20%. Um what ended up happening uh, in this year, though, so far, is that uh, W is up by about six or seven percent year to date, but the stock market, well, the S P 500, is down by about two and a half percent, and I'm not very optimistic about where the stock market's going to go from here. Um, I don't know what to do in response to it, but uh, I fear that we are we are at the beginning of a of a recession, of an economic recession. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, However, WB has been in, I would argue, in a popularity recession for the last several years, but that has finally come to an end. Any ideas why, Chris Cole?
3: Well, we kind of looked at the beginning of the show, but would it be Peacock?
2: I think it's Peacock. Um, Why? First of all, here's the actual data to support what I'm saying here in terms of worldwide Google web search. WB has flattened in recent months. What we have on the screen here is the 12-month moving average for worldwide Google web search related to WWE. And we see a flattening in that trend line. Uh, What about the U.S., though? It's actually more positive in the U.S. Uh, And if we look at the year-over-year monthly comparisons, so looking at January, February, March, April, we now have four months in 2022 to look at. And if you compare each of those months to the same month of the prior year, what you see is that web search for WWE is up in three out of four of those months. It was down in February. There was no premium live event in February, I don't think. Um, but it's up in January, the month of the Royal Rumble. It's up in March. I think there was elimination chamber in March, correct? In Saudi Arabia. there were, It was up in April by 8% in the month that contained WrestleMania. So we're seeing uh, at least some good month over month comparisons, or I'm sorry, year over year comparisons by the month. Um, so I, that's encouraging. That doesn't mean anything necessarily about revenue, about consumer interest, uh, necessarily. I think it is a great predictor of consumer interest. So I'm going to show you some things that actually do have something to do directly with revenue to, uh, support the notion that W's popularity has stabilized. Um, in terms of the number of events, I do want to point out that the number of events, uh, From Q1 of this year to the Q1 of, say, 2019, which was the last Q1 that wasn't interrupted by the pandemic, they ran 90 events in 2019 in Q1 in North America. So it's not included internationally. They only ran 52 events. The number of events that they've run has fallen in half, at least from that Q1 to this Q1. Um and we know that uh, in, in Q1 2020, which is almost an entire quarter of, of regular touring until the middle of March, so that's you know two and a half months out of three that were not interrupted by the pandemic, um, and they were going forward with the plan to run fewer live events. And it appears that they've basically reinstated that strategy that they left off with in Q1 of 2020. And the number of events that they ran in Q3 and Q4 was not even that comparable to their touring patterns of the past. Uh, Q3 was not an entire quarter of, of a return to touring that ha- that started in the middle of July, so it's about half a month missing there. But we do have an entire Q4 to look at. They were fully on the road in Q4, and that is comparable to Q4 of 2019. Uh, which had 50 events versus 48 events in 2021. 64 events, though, in 2018, compared to, again, 48 events in 2021. Suffice to say, they're running fewer events, Maybe I haven't deeply looked into this yet. And maybe it's not fair to until we got like a full year behind us to, to really look at, look at all seasons to look at what cities are they not going to anymore? I imagine some of those smaller market cities, although they are going to, they, they did go to like some small town in Ontario not that long ago. It was like Mississauga or something, which, you know, they had like 2000 people at in terms of average attendance, average attendance. So here's where we're going to talk about how the, the live event metrics. In this case, uh, is a consumer metric. The consumer metrics seem to be stabilizing. So what we've got here is 5,710, 5,710, just short of 6,000 tickets, uh, is the average paid attendance. These do reflect paid attendances, uh, and that is, on par with where they were in 2020. It's even a little bit above where they were in 2019. 2019 may be being dragged down by the volume of events that they were running. But on par with kind of where they left off. We're at least not seeing things continue to decline in this view. Now, what about total attendance in North America? Again, they're pretty much on par with where they were in 2020. Compared to 2020 Q1, where they had about 260,000 tickets sold in North America, almost 300,000. Again, 260,000 to almost 300,000 in this Q1. So uh, part of that Q1 in 2020, of course, is, is cut off by, by no events in the last two weeks. Um, but this one uh, is, is basically on par with where they left off. Again, not a positive growth story, but at least not a continuing to decline story. Uh, average attendance, pretty stable. Total attendance is, of course, lower than these years prior in 2018 or 2019 when they were just running more events. Uh, But the average attendance is pretty comparable to where it was in those times where they were running more events. Uh, So there's that. And then the revenue is, is, is being supported by the fact that they're just charging a lot more for tickets than they were in the past despite what we hear about all these discounts uh that are happening at various events these two-for-one deals oh my god there's crisis at madison square garden they can't sell tickets the ticket prices must be being diluted well we see a 67 dollar average ticket price in north america in 2022 which is higher than at any point probably in history just given inflation but it is higher than at any point at least since 2018 uh before inflation really hits and maybe inflation is certainly uh affecting this 2022 number in this time where we are seeing a lot of uh, rapid inflation, uh, in U S dollar, but still not to the degree that there's not a meaningful difference between $53, $52, $53 in in Q1s of the years prior and $67. So the average ticket price is substantially higher than it is now that helps the revenue keep up, even though the total attendance is not what it was in, in those years prior where they were running more events. Um, and actually, big news here, live events division, the live events division, which is an increasing minority of this company's revenue, is actually positive. The operating income is actually in the green, in the black, uh, and not in the red, which we saw in many quarters where uh, before, just before the pandemic, really starting around, I guess you could say by looking at this chart that we're looking at here, Q4 2017 under $1 million in operating income, just barely profitable. And then, uh, Q1 was pretty good. That's a strong seasonal time. WrestleMania quarters, you can obviously tell are tremendously profitable compared to the others because they have WrestleMania in them. Uh, so that offsets and, and obscures any losses that, that may have been happening, uh, on individual events that were not WrestleMania. But then we see in Q3, 2018, they lost a million dollars on running live events in the entire quarter. Uh, Q4 2018, just $1.4 million in operating income. Q1 2019, they made $200,000 in operating income, barely profitable. Uh, Q2 2019 is obscured by WrestleMania. And then this is all before the pandemic, but the uh, the last two full quarters, Q3 2019, Q4 2019, and then most of Q1 uh, 2020, not in the pandemic, at least not with events postponed, canceled because of the pandemic. All those quarters, not profitable uh, by more than a million dollars. And then of course, all the quarters during the pandemic uh, non-touring time were not profitable. Um, But there's that. Uh, But it is profitable now. Q4, of course, Q3 was exceptionally profitable where it was, they had $9 million in operating income, a very profitable time. And then in Q4 2021, this first Full quarter of touring. This first uh, quarter maybe coming down from the pent up demand. Still profitable, 1.4 million dollars in operating income. And then this quarter, you know, and I've been estimating it's just going to go back to normal because the, the the lessons of the past. I see no reason to think that you know it won't be kind of unprofitable like it has been in the past. But no, two million dollars in operating income. They've got their heads above water in the live events division. Uh, why would that be? Any guesses why, Chris Gallo? this company is profitable in its live events division now. Well, I mean running less live events? But they ran fewer live events in probably in let, let's go back here. They ran only 50 events in, in Q4 2019 and they lost money in that quarter too. And that and you can see, you know, just from the difference here from the prior Q4. That was that was they cut down. That's true. I mean if it's not lesser live events, uh
3: probably bigger markets, more ticket Higher price ticket value, you can. Push
2: what are they for? doing? What are they doing? What are they not doing today that they were doing pre-pandemic that might have been a drain on the expenses in the in the live events division? Uh, higher. Yeah, I don't know.
3: <laughs> I feel like that's a true question.
2: They're not. Oh, no running. NXT. Yeah, they're not running any of those those live events for Triple H's Black and Gold Indie Fest. Ooh. That's what they're not doing, and maybe this explains why, you know, WWE has not returned to running the Largo loop, despite criticism from you know people like me saying, well, why are you not running a Largo loop when you've got all these wrestlers who are you're, you're recruiting people who have even less wrestling experience now than before, and you're not giving them anywhere to really develop other than these, I guess they run these these performance center shows with no fans in them, or with no authentic fans in them. I, I think part of what happened here. Purely speculation is that part of the reassessment uh, of this business by new management, including Nikon, was to to look at, uh, they, they looked at their media division and said, we've got a lot of redundancy here across departments where we've got multiple people doing the same job across these different sub, subdivisions of departments. And they laid off a lot of people uh, in the spring of last year as a result of that and cut costs down. Uh, and I think they also probably looked at this and said, why are we running all these NXT events that are probably lo- losing money? Uh and it's a drain on our live events division that's struggling to report a profit. Um, so I think part of the repudiation of of the Triple H regime of NXT is that not only are you not giving Vince McMahon, the tall, blonde, heavily built people that he loves, but you're also running these live events that are losing money. Uh, I imagine, and, and you didn't create a brand that beat Dynamite, nor did it... Develop into a strong media rights brand, so on all those accounts, repudiated. Let's go with the the multicolored, rainbow splattered NXT 2.0. That will be a drain on the ratings, but nonetheless, um, not a drain on profitability. Uh, that's my speculation. I don't. I, nobody's told me that, but that that's my educated guess. Um, so there's that. Uh, To return to this argument that well, maybe popularity is stabilizing, we've got uh, e-commerce revenue that's fairly stable here. Uh, In some cases, it's higher than it was in the past. Sure, inflation, it does not hurt in that case. Um, But we've also got the number of orders uh, to look at here. And the number of orders, yeah, they they, they are down from the last pre-COVID times. I only want to look at pre-COVID times because e-commerce was really making up for the lack of any merch for reasons that I can't really psychologically explain. But nonetheless, e-commerce did seem to be offsetting a large part of the losses uh from the lack of any of any merchandise available uh, so we do see fewer orders but look at this average which they do pub- they publish this they, they tell you what is the average uh p- price what is the order w- what is the average price of an order on w shop or whatever e-commerce uh platform they're using and in q1 it was 66 dollars thank god for replica belts or whatever they are they they're, they're, they're They've got going on there, sixty-six dollars, which is up from say, look at look at twenty nineteen in the same quarter, forty-seven dollars. It's up to sixty-six dollars now. So they're getting more out of each customer per order, and that's helping this this revenue comparison look pretty favorable, despite you know the pandemic uh, allowing the return of venue merch, which is decreasing volume. Um, venue merch too is uh, pretty comparable to where it left off, despite. Fewer shows, lower total attendance, fewer people to buy venue merch. But guess what? The merch per capita is almost $13 in Q1 compared to $9 in 2019. So they're getting more money out of you per person. This is helping the revenue lines. This doesn't really tell us a ton about actual people participating, engaging in the product. Uh TV ratings have been an okay story uh in terms of year-over-year comparisons. Uh we've only got negative deltas in some quarters. And we do have some positive deltas. Of course, Q3, the return to touring, the return of fans, SmackDown reigns were up year over year. Um, Raw ratings were up 2% year over year. Not so healthy in the demo, uh, but SmackDown was up in the demo in Q3 2021. And we do see some small differences, but they're mostly 1%. Uh, Whereas if if you're looking on YouTube, you can see that sometimes 20% year over year changes uh, in raw, you know, upwards of, of, you know, worse than 10% of loss year over year in, in comparisons where they don't have a new better network or new better time slot, uh, to benefit from. So, some, some stabilization in the ratings, ratings not suffering as badly as they have in the past. Why is that? I think it's because of Peacock. Why Peacock? Any, 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 uh, guesses why I think Peacock, Colo? Mm-hmm.
3: uh, for for just the regular standard tv ratings
2: for everything i i do you agree with this notion does this sound sensible to you in your in your lived experience has w popularity has a w popularity declined from 2017 to 2021 and b that decline has stopped
3: i would i mean i would i would say it definitely declined in that year period but yeah probably has stopped um i mean there's been you know, you're showing all the kind of the, the venue merge and you're showing the ticket sales. And honestly, I think that, you know, I know it's on a smaller scale, but I think the Cody Rhodes acquisition, taking one of AEW's talents, has kind of helped with popularity. It's Cody Rhodes' Cody Cody do- draw, then. That's what you're saying. Cody Rhodes is the reason. I would say he's part of the reason, but not the whole reason. But yeah, I mean, Peacock gets a giant platform, more people, more eyes. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of cross-branding the last couple of years under Nick Khan with programs. And, you know, like I said, there was what we talked about last week. There was WWE wrestlers on the NFL draft. And Young Rock has been, like, hinting at Roman Reigns' Rock WrestleManias. And that's on NBC every every Tuesday night. Like,
2: mm-hmm. I think there are these two periods here where it's not star creation that bumped this business, but distribution that bumped the business. And if you look at SmackDown, too, that's – that's definitely the story of the SmackDown. Like I think one of the real underrated stories of W's business in the last several years has been the benefit uh, that they've gotten from, in, you know, increasing the ratings and increasing the importance of SmackDown. Um, but what, what we see from, you know, I think 2014 to 2016, there's an increase in a number of consumer metrics. And then after that point, there's a, there's a dive. And then now I think we're seeing not an increase, but a stabilization that I wasn't sure was ever going to, going to come. I I was assuming that that popularity would just sort of gradually decline a little bit each year. And I think we're starting to see the, the flattening of that. And you can see this in terms of TV ratings are, are difficult to, to read, but we did see, you know, almost no difference in, in TV ratings from 2013 to 2014. What happened in 2014? And we had the WWE network. Caught you. I don't know what you were doing over there. Caught I you though. Drinking some water. <laughs> okay. Uh, the launch of the WWE Network in February 2014 happened, and I think that introduced a lot of people to uh, watch more pay-per-views than they ever did before because it drastically cut the price down. Um, so from 2014, we also see the increase of merchandise merchandise sales yeah, at the venues, but also online too. Uh, we see the increase of licensed product uh, revenue, which is largely video games and toys, that is, action figures, and other categories too. But we see the average attendance gradually grow we see total attendance gradually grow from it was already growing actually from, from 12 through peaking in, in 2017, average attendance peaking in 2016. And we saw uh web search grow from about 13 grew in 14 grew in 15 grew in 16, both worldwide in the U S. And then we see the, uh, the very, uh, linear decline of web search after that point, um, And I think that has a lot to do with the W network. I don't know that has a lot to do with stars. Uh, I think the emergence of of Roman Reigns and of of the S.H.I.E.L.D. members helps. Um, But uh, I think it has a lot to do with the distribution. And as I I wrote in in an article uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash Russellnomics, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, I think, business, the boom periods that we've seen in the past. You can point to distribution changes, benefits that happened during those other times, uh, in the mid eighties, nineteen eighty four, Hulk Hogan helps. Hulk Hogan's a big deal, but it's also a time when you know, the WF uh, grew its distribution nationwide to a great degree. Got on cable TV. Got syndication in many places that didn't didn't have syndication. Uh, became the most widely distributed uh, wrestling company, uh, at least in the U.S. The nineties, I think there's there's something you can point to there in terms of. The 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 situation for television changed in that when I was growing up, and, and probably you too, Golo, What's the first wrestling program that you remember watching? For me, essentially, for me, it's Superstars on on like Saturday morning. What on yeah. Fox noon? Right? Yeah, noon. Yeah, yeah noon. Yeah. I, th- I think it was on at noon on Fox twenty nine. Yep. Um, and then, and and that was like the flagship show, right? Yeah. Yeah. There. Raw existed in by ninety three, but Raw wasn't a camp-miss show, I would say. Um, but by the Monday Night Wars, uh, the thing things got very important on, on cable primetime. Primetime is prime time because that's when a lot of people are home and they can watch television. Um, and that increased the distribution, the reach that wrestling could achieve. And this is that's what's happening here for the W Network, in terms of pay-per-views, you increase, increase the reach that those pay-per-views would have. You increase the reach again uh, that, that the pay-per-views can have by being on Peacock, because Peacock is in about 20, 30 million homes uh, in terms of people who actually use it, at least on a monthly basis. About 30 million homes is of Comcast's uh, Q1 report. I think 28 million is what Nick Khan said, and that's probably in their SEC filings or in their earnings release. Um, so that's more than 1.1 million. In the, the that's the number of U.S. subscribers they had when they left off, 1.1 million. They're in about 20 million homes, right? And it's not like it's, uh, you know, it's not like it's 20x the viewership uh, for pay-per-views now than before. It's maybe 3x, I don't know. Maybe it's not even 3x, but it's, it's more. It's more people watching the most important content.
3: Before we segue into the next segment, because this kind of has a little bit to do with what we're going to talk about going forward. But we have a super chat from Glennie Kodra. Uh, Love the show. Based on the Peacock Talk, would you recommend uh, for any wrestling company to get on a major streaming service instead of starting their own? And thank you, Glennie, for the
2: super chat. Based on on Peacock Talk, would you recommend any wrestling company get on a major streaming service instead of starting their own? Well, if they're going to pay you money to do it, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in, in the case of Peacock and WWE, I mean, WWE is a high-profile high enough brand and a popular enough brand that's going to bring a big enough audience that Peacock was willing to pay $200 million a year. Um, now, WWE is in an, an exceptional situation. Uh, and I, I believe AEW has tried to, you know, talk to its partners about getting its content on Warner Media platforms like HBO Max, but that has not come to fruition. Um, if they're not willing to do it, if you can't make a deal with a big major streaming player uh going at your own might be the only option or might be the best option um i think aw is going to do a fast um and and maybe that builds them value that they can eventually get somebody to give them a a really good deal at some point in the future to license whatever they're doing in fast onto a major streaming network um but, uh, obviously it depends on, on, on the economics. It depends on how much money they're willing to give you. It depends on the reach that they can give you in the case of Peacock. It's, um, it's 30 million homes. It's not a cable network, which is 80 million homes, but it's more than you were able to give yourself, which was 1.1 million. Um, and, and it's about, you know, what other things, how, how well they can promote you, what other shoulder programming they're going to give you to help promote your content or something like that. Um, it just, it all depends on the deal. And uh, you certainly want to license, I think, if if you can, Um, because it takes, especially if you're licensing to a bigger player, right? The, The argument that WB puts forward is that we're not a tech company. It's to sort of obfuscate away from the disappointment in subscribers that was the, the W network to say, we're not a tech company. Why don't we just, you know, we should be licensing this to somebody else who really knows how to do this. That is NBC Universal. We should be licensing this out to somebody who really knows how to do streaming. That's why the W network didn't didn't work out as well as we wanted to, is because we're not a tech company. It has nothing to do with the content and the quality of the content the fact that people were turned off year after year from our content. No, no, no. It has everything to do with the fact that, you know, we just didn't have the expertise, which there may be truth to. Um, but certainly it's NBC Universal, a much uh, more wealthy company with greater resources and greater resources, resources that are relevant to streaming uh, that's willing to perhaps overspend now for the sake of gaining uh, you know, consumer activity in the future as cable subscriptions continue to decline, which is, of course, a business that they're deeply involved in.
3: All right, where should we, we go from on. here? Well, uh, we're going to uh, discuss funnels and funnels. kind of what
2: what led you on to, uh, to 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 this funnel path. I listened to I listened to this podcast, the Marchand Marchand and Orand, or is it Orand and Marchand? That's definitely the other way around. Anyway, I listened to this uh, Andrew Marchand, Andrew Marchand and John Orand uh, podcast. Familiar with John Orand? Uh, a little bit from what you've
3: told me. I'm familiar with Kendra Perkins who's on the screen here. So I'm not familiar with Kendra Perkins, but is he a football player? Uh basketball. Basketball player.
2: Yeah. Maybe um, retired, but yeah. So John O'Ran writes for for
3: Uh oh, you're you're leading me into that. Um a question.
2: I'd have to look it up. I don't know off the top of my head. Sports Business Journal. Andrew writes for New York Post, uh, and they do, they've been doing this podcast for less than a year. And they were having this discussion about the different value, which aligns, i.e. confirms some of my thoughts, um, about the different value that cable, broadcast, or I should say in this order, broadcast, cable, and streaming give to um, different sports properties. In terms of talking about, Something I've talked about recently is that the, you know, the, the reach that streaming gives you is fairly limited, uh, compared to the reach that cable can give you or the reach even better that broadcast can give you. Um, you really have to go out of your way to watch something on streaming. And I don't quite know how to explain why or how that is. Right. But I think we all know the experience that I'm talking about when you're done watching something on streaming, I guess for one thing, something doesn't come on right after, Right. Um, and um, I, and I wonder even if, I wonder if even we're going to end up living in this world where like these streaming networks become sort of hybrid virtual MVPDs in terms of wh- when you get Peacock, you get access to all of the NBC universal portfolio of cable networks and things like that. But, but anyway, how, how this relates to wrestling, um, and, uh, I guess our own business maybe, maybe to, um, to explain this first, um, have you looked at this slide before right now, Cole? Yes, yeah, yeah. I have this, seen that. Does this look right to you? What we have at the top is basically, we have this funnel, right? It, the, the funnel is very wide at the top and, it's, and, it's, and it gets more and more narrow as you go down. And basically what what we want to do is you know put our, our, our thoughts and our content out there to the widest possible audience. People could discover us on places like Twitter, or the, the recommendation algorithm on YouTube. They could discover us by having our, you know, what we what we've said shared on Reddit. Um, sometimes we're guests on other podcasts. I, I bet a lot of people listening now maybe have heard me be a guest. Originally heard me be a guest on somebody else's podcast, and that's why they're here. Um, Gullo spams the Facebook groups for us. Thank you. Uh, you could, you know, the, the, the pay-per-view buys pages on wrestlenomics.com get visited a lot because I think people are just Googling for that, that data. Um, sometimes I'm quoted in articles. This is how people might discover wrestlenomics, right? And then maybe through that, you follow me on Twitter or something like that. And now you're, you've committed to the regular, uh, to being subjected to me regularly. Um, and, and I'm sharing my content through there and links and things like that, um, and then we start to monetize you. Uh, if you click on the website, you, you you're helping us generate some tiny fraction of a cent. Um, if you're listening to this on YouTube or on on your podcast app, you're helping us generate some tiny fraction of a cent of a of a of a cent. Um, and then you get more fully monetized if you are one of one of those fantastic people who are our patrons and subscribe to Patreon.com/slash and we also sell the. The uh, reports through Payhip, um, post wrestling, handles merchandise for us. Wonderful people like Glenn and Condra uh, send us super chats. So that's how we more directly monetize. I would call that direct consumer monetization. Um, so that's how our business works. Now, it's not a wrestling business. But uh, if you think about how wrestling businesses have in the past worked, think about like old WWF, they would want to be on television. Television, whether it's through syndication whether it was through cable, whether it was through broadcast, they would put their weekly television program on the widest possible visible platform. And then they would sell their tickets, their, their pay-per-views and maybe their merchandise. And that's, that was a pretty simple model relative to what we have today. That was the funnel. It had basically two steps to it. Um, but if you, uh, if you look at the way, let's say that sports works, sports today and what what we have is in the case of for example the nba the nhl premier league baseball all those leagues i believe are active right now the nba famously is in their playoffs right now which are dominating the ratings and their their funnel is is quite a bit different than the funnel of wrestling either then or now or forever um are you, are you fumbling with your mic, Gullo? <laughs> no. I I I haven't touched it. All right. Uh so th- what what the leagues do, the sports leagues do is they put and this is true for the NFL too, right? They put their best content on broadcast in front of the widest audience, the late playoffs, the championship games. Uh those are the games that are on broadcast that get fed into in the United States, over 100 million households uh, at very little cost to the consumer. I, I have a, an antenna uh, you know, stuck to my wall up here that costs me virtually nothing. It's probably a $15 antenna. It's connected to my TV. Uh, there's no monthly cost associated with that. And I can tune in, uh, you know, the NBA playoffs or the NBA finals will be on ABC. The Super Bowl was on NBC or whatever it was this year. I was able to watch that stuff if I wanted to at no cost to myself. Uh, the late playoffs uh, are certainly in the NFL and some of the NBA games. Uh, Stanley Cup finals will probably be on um, ABC maybe. I don't know. Um, some Premier League games are on NBC. The World Series <laughs> will be on Fox or whatever it might be. Um, that that stuff is before the widest possible audience. Then, you know, you trickle down, you get, and you got to go to TNT to ESPN to see some of the playoff games that are happening right now in the NBA. Uh, And then you got to, and that's at a cost. Uh, It depends on the network, but you can kind of break it down and look up what uh, systems are paying to carry networks like TNT and ESPN. It's anywhere from, you know, about a dollar to eight dollars per customer, and then they're they're handing that cost down to you, the cable customer. Um, and that on cable, what ends up on cable are the high profile games, right? Not the low profile games usually, but the the most uh, you know, LeBron and Steph Curry games. Those end up on major cable at a cost to the consumer. So we're sort of in the second tier of the urgency the urgency rating on these games, and then you move further down. And if you want to see the normal regular season games, you might have to make sure that you've got your, uh, your RSN, your regional sports network on your cable package. Um, or in the case of say the NHL, if you want to see the sort of wider swath of of NHL games, you've got to subscribe to ESPN plus, which is in, Fewer homes, it's in about 25 million homes, and that's going to cost the consumer even more per customer, maybe five to fifteen dollars per month. Um, and then you can move even further down. Say you want to see the out-of-market games that you have an experience with this. Uh, subscribe to an out-of-market sports package.
3: Yes, I am a uh, a subscriber to MLB's. Uh, Package MLB TV to watch Philadelphia Phillies games that are normally broadcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia. What does that cost? Uh, One hundred and thirty for the season, which comes out to like what per month? Let's see, or see, so yeah, it starts in April and ends in September,
2: but across a year, that's about ten or eleven dollars per month. Yeah, so that that's costing you more than more than ESPN Plus subscription would cost you, et cetera, more than a more than it would cost you on a, on a monthly breakdown for a cable network. And it certainly costs you more than it costs you to, to use an antenna. Do you use an antenna? Yeah,
3: we have it. Um, basically if I want to watch like sports games on two, four or seven.
2: And I, and I think this makes sense in terms of growing a fan base, growing a viewer base, right? You put your best content, your most important content on the widest, cheapest platform. That is, you know, Fox, NBC, ABC, CBS, and then the the less important the the content is, the more expensive it becomes. But wrestling, let's talk about wrestling first. Wrestling doesn't work that way at all. Wrestling works in the opposite way. They they put their weekly TV on broadcast or cable, then they put their peak tentpole monthly premium live events slash pay per view events. If you're WB on a standard streaming tier, that costs in this case. For us in the United States, $5 a month. Internationally, $10, maybe more. If you're in Canada, it's more. If you're in the UK, it's more. Um, it costs you you know, more than $10 per month or $10 per month or in, in other regions where the economy is, is smaller, less. But you're having to pay more per customer for that. And then lower down where, say, the out-of-market package would be, NFL Sunday ticket, the MLB TV uh, you know, the ESPN NHL games, there is no such tier. I, I guess maybe that would be like in AW's case, uh, a W dark or the, the C shows for WWE that, that nobody watches, or I don't know, NXT or something like that. That's a, that's elsewhere that's on YouTube or that's on cable. So it, Wrestling doesn't work that way. Um, does UFC work that way? Well, UFC uh, used to be on Fox. You know, Since they've been over uh, with, with ESPN, I don't, I don't believe they've ever, ever been on ABC. Um, but they're on cable. Those fight nights are – I think some of them are still on cable. Largely, they're on ESPN Plus is my understanding. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and then if you want to see the pay-per-views, the most important events – that's going to cost you a lot of money. That's going to cost you seventy five dollars plus an ESPN subscription. So, essentially, an eighty dollar cost to, to watch the most important content. Um, and wrestling has always straddled this space, to, like you know, between sport and um, and something else, something that's in the opposite direction, whether scripted entertainment or or, or what. Um, and I can almost turn turn the funnel upside down. And I and I don't know that I I believe that this is that wrestling is wrestling is kind of upside down in that, you know, firstly, there, there is no deep premium package. Uh, the most important content, uh, the pay-per-view for AEW, is limited t- to the smallest and, and most monetized audience. Uh, Peacock, you've got to pay for $5, which is not a lot, but you've got to pay $5 to get access to it, uh, to get, get the premium live events, uh, to see the weekly TV. OK, if you've got cable, you can see the weekly TV, which is in um, is in 80 million homes and Fox. You can even, you know, you can see Smackdown uh, in, in 100 million homes. So there's that. I, I, I wonder, though. Yeah, I was going to say, did R.O.H. almost follow
3: this funnel at one point? I mean, they didn't have cable, but you had your broadcast television. Then you had your honor club, which would be your standard streaming. But then you had the fight paper reviews
2: that you only put on fight and not on uh honor club i think they were following what everybody else has done in wrestling you know if you were reinventing wrestling today and wrestling never existed and you didn't have all the habits of the past to 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 you know walk in in the groove of i i wonder if if you were to put together wrestling like like major sports team sports are put together you would put wrestlemania on broadcast you would put you know you put maybe wrestlemania maybe royal rumble all out, double or nothing on, on broadcast. You would put every other premium live event pay-per-view on cable. Maybe then you would put the weekly TV. If you are a really hardcore fan, you actually wanted to watch this every week. Maybe that's what would go on a major streaming service. That'll be part of a package with a lot of other content. And then if you really like that and you were a diehard wrestling fan, you would have your dedicated WWE, uh, rsn and your your dedicated aw streaming service that would have your aw dark your nxt your up next is that what's called what's what's the nxt b show uh next level next level um and maybe that's where that stuff would live um i don't know if this is a good idea or not but this is something that occurred to me that the funnel is 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 totally different it's it's in, in the total opposite direction uh in the case of wrestling versus any of the major league sports um And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but, but that's definitely the case. Moving on your, your favorite, favorite topic today.
3: Yes. Uh, this was from, uh, Britt Baker, uh, turned into bar rescue this Sunday at 10 PM on paramount.net. So bar rescue, for those of you who don't know, it's been a show airing for a long time now. Um, I think at least 10 plus years, if not further, John Taffer is this bar expert. So he's, uh, Owned and operated a lot of nightclubs, bars, and in, in the Las Vegas area. And now he's, I think he's gotten like Taffer's mixes that are in grocery stores and he sells like a, basically a marketing program. He goes and does these business seminars, how to fix your bar and restaurant around and all that. He's been on the, he's been on Discovery Plus as well, doing a show with Robert Irvine. Um, John Taffer is a lot like Paul Heyman. He get, goes in there, and different where Paul Heyman is, we don't hear about Paul Heyman being angry, right? So he John Taffer comes in, he screams, and he yells at you, blah, 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 about everything you've done wrong, but then he makes you believe in yourself, and he finds that one little emotional attachment. He's like, oh, yeah, you can do this because of your family or your father's legacy or whatever it might be. He kind of talks you in. And then when you see this, John Taver's inspired these people, and they go and they they he fixes their business. And they start their business back up or continue, you know, with remodeling and all that. Majority of these bar rescues fail. <laughs> they, they 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 last less than a year after he goes in there and pretty much cr- gives them more expenses because they he puts in POS systems and gets higher furniture and higher operating systems. As, POS systems, like high advanced POS systems and all that. And what's POS um, stand for? I, 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 uh, point of sale. Okay. Yeah, um, I just know not know um, But I, I've seen the comparison. I've always made the comparison of John Tapper to Paul Heyman. But the story is is that he, he goes to bars and he tries to fix the bars and by remodeling and giving them a new business plan and maybe re- rebranding and all that. What does this have to do with wrestling? Well, Adam Cole and Britt Breaker are on. But it looks like they're going to be doing the recon or this must be a bar that they'd like to go to. Okay. That they're they going don't to own ask, the bar. Not as far as I know. Okay. But when he said it, celebrities, usually they're not the owners. They're like it's a local bar. Like John John Daly, the golfer, was on there because his I think his like wife's family owned a bar and Marshawn Lynch owned a bar at one point he was on there, but mostly it's celebrities that like to go to that bar. Or like And this is on what network? This is on Paramount, which I know that's the bigger story
2: for you. The, the cable network? Uh it, it, yes, the Paramount Cable so Network. Yep. Yeah. So they're in AEW. So this is a this is a Discovery Network, right? Uh, no, no. But it is the Paramount Viacom. Wait, there's AEW people who are doing something outside of of the Warner Brothers Discovery family. Oh yes, and into a uh, network that doesn't have any
3: rights. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Maybe it means nothing. Maybe it means something. I mean, maybe maybe this uh, makes WBD take notice and say, oh, why aren't they on one of our shows? Um, but that's interesting. And I, I don't think of Britt Baker and Adam Cole as people who are far removed from AEW management. I think that's worth noting too.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, this is, I mean, this is good cross-branding. The only thing I can think of is John Taffer was on Discovery+. Plus, So maybe he has some type of, Share deal, but this would have been done way before the merger, I think. Like, because this was probably filmed that I'd say last year. So, before Adam Cole was in AW, well, no, actually, yeah, no, well, no, he appeared in September, right? So, so I probably it probably been filmed late last year, early this year, but it wouldn't have been something filmed in probably the last couple months.
2: Mm -hmm. But, but the merger, the merger was known to to be happening by the summer, yeah, before he was in AW. I mean that's the only connection I not that he of. not that he couldn't appear on a show with Bert yeah. Baker, regardless of what wrestling company he was contracted to. But anyway. Okay. Anything else on that? Uh no, just uh I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this. i, I you're, like you're gonna watch that instead of the premium live event tonight? Uh I probably won't watch this
3: live or the premium live event live. I'll probably watch it at some point this week. But I will watch this event. It'll what are you gonna on be doing tonight For,
2: from from eight to eleven? To
3: I don't know. <laughs> probably watching programming. Well, actually no. At nine o'clock, I'll be watching my uh, my show.
2: I watch every Sunday night, so which is what the food that built America. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're going to be doing a um. This might this might be where we want to talk about Roman Reigns. Uh, we we're going to be doing uh, something this Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday at seven. Is that what we agreed on? Yeah. Yes. So that you don't have to rush home too 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 quick. We might, we might end up going, going head-to-head with uh, AEW Dynamite, though. I think we'll be all right. Maybe we'll do a watch-along as part of this, uh, this broadcast <laughs> that we'll do. Um, but here we have Google Web Search for the month of April. So this is just the month of April. Uh, web Search worldwide for, as far as I can tell, the top 10 most searched for wrestling personalities in the world who had at least one match in April. Uh, and number one, Number one is who Number one is Roman reigns acknowledge number one is Roman reigns. Number two is Brock Lesnar, uh, with only 64% of the, the amount of search volume as Roman reigns. So a, a distant number, you know, a distant number two, Roman reigns is by far number one, uh, Brock Lesnar, Steve Austin. He makes it because he had a match in, in April, 2022, um, Cody Rhodes, Ronda Rousey, Randy Orton, Vince McMahon, Charlotte Flair, Rey Mysterio, and Sasha Banks. Uh, so those are the most searched for wrestling personalities. No AEW in there. Take that. Um, CM Punk and uh, I think Jeff Hardy might even be. Uh, Paige Van Zandt is the most searched for in, in April, I believe, among people who are associated with AEW. Um, so Wednesday – and this will be uh, audio for patrons, and we'll be doing this on YouTube too. Wednesday at seven, we're gonna start. Well, we're, we're we're gonna do something at least one time called. We're gonna answer that annoying question: Who's a draw? And from what I hear, you have historical
3: comparisons too, huh? Well, I, I
2: you know, we're gonna have to uh, go down a tangent of of you know what are we talking about here? Um, what what are we, what are we gonna do here? Do you have any any idea what we're gonna do here? I think we're probably going to break down
3: I would imagine TV ratings uh Google trends probably some attendance draws throughout history for who's so, on top.
2: Not not history hell no. We're not going to tackle history. <laughs> what we're going to do, we're going to limit the scope of this very narrowly. <laughs> we're going to try to address We're going to do what I would call talent analytics and what I believe, you know, in in the the industry would be called talent analytics for only the month of April. And we're going to see okay. what, what, pro- what progress we can make there. Um, so we're going to ad- address just the month of April. We're going to go through all of the we're going to go through all the a, a lot of the relevant web search data for April. We're going to go through all the quarter hours for April, which will be misleading, but we'll talk about it. And we're going to go through all the YouTube data for April. And we're going to try to answer the question at least in the month of April: who's a draw? Uh, and, and, and if it bears fruit, maybe we'll we'll address other periods of time. Uh, in the future, and we'll we'll try try to do some defining of what in the world we're actually what is the question that we're trying to answer and what what would a draw even look like in this environment? Um, there's a lot to it. I've already made some slides, so that will be six o'clock six o'clock no seven o'clock p.m. Eastern, right here on the Wrestleomics YouTube network, <laughs> the uh, the ad supported, free, ad supported television if you watch it on television. But that that's I think all we have for uh, this week. Yeah, yeah. that's all we have You can like, share, and subscribe on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app if you wish. You can subscribe to nomics on Patreon, patreon.com slash Russellnomics. And uh Gullo has things too. Yeah, check me
3: out, Chris Gullo, on all your uh major social media and uh RTI pot on uh, Twitter and Instagram and you know just keep Keep supporting WrestleNomics. And uh, if you listen to
2: Rediscovering these, thank you. Thanks to Post Wrestling, as always, for being our great uh, distribution partners. And uh, I think, is that it? Is that it? I think we'll talk
0: to everybody on Wednesday.